Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. I want to invite you then to find a Bible somewhere near you, in front of you, uh, one you've brought with you, and turn to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 13. If you're using one of those black Bibles near you, you'll find it on page 264. If you picked up large print when you came in, page 311. And while you're finding that, let me add my welcome to Wills. My name is David, David Gibson. It's a joy to have you with us, particularly newcomers and visitors. You're very welcome very welcome indeed here with us as we come to God's Word together. We've been working our way through Second Samuel. I think we're agreeing it is getting darker and darker, and I'm afraid more darkness today before the light lifts and comes again. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 23. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. It's too expensive for us all to come with you. He pressed him, but still David would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? You might remember verse 22 of chapter 13, Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad. So David's suspicions are aroused, aren't they? Why why do you want Amnon? You're not speaking to him. But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, for have I not commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, you remember Jonadab, the wise, the crafty one in the court who seems to know everything? Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, Let not my Lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my Lord, the king, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled. And the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, 
Many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. And so Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, week after week, we are so conscious how we need your help. Not because these words are so difficult to understand, but because we see ourselves almost in every line. And so we pray as we speak, lay ourselves bare before you. And as you hold us in your living hand, speak your living word, full of grace and truth into all our hearts to shape all our lives, we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. It's very possible as I read this this morning, as we read the first part of chapter 13 last week, it's very possible that you missed a really extraordinary detail in chapter 13. And I say that it's possible you missed it because I missed it myself until Thursday evening, studying and reading all week. And here's the detail, it's this. God isn't mentioned at all in chapter 13. Did you notice that? God isn't mentioned once. Last week, we were in the blackest hole possible with Amnon and Tamar. And now we are in another bleak pit, aren't we, with Amnon and Absalom, two of David's sons, his brothers. And God is nowhere, right? Nowhere to be seen. So, what can we learn about God from an episode like this where God is not mentioned, but where human sin is writ so large, it makes our stomachs turn, doesn't it, what we've been reading? makes our emotions surge with pity for the people who are so violated in this story. I want to help us read the news this morning. I want to help us read the news. Look at verse 30. While they were on the way, news came to David. Now, it turns out, of course, that this news is fake news, isn't it? It's fake news. It is a rumor that Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. It's astonishing in this day and age how that happens so quickly, isn't it? The, the gossip merchants are on speed dial. Somehow it makes it all the way back to David that all of his sons are dead. How does David read the news? Verse 31, then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. You know, it's interesting that even though that report turns out to be fake, when David has the true story given to him, verse 35, do you notice his reaction in verse 35? Jonadab said, behold, the king's sons have come. It is only Amnon who is dead. What does he do then? 
His reaction is not different. Behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept, and the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. All his sons might not be dead. Yes, great, the news is not as bad as he feared, but one of his sons is dead. Oh, the tragedy. Oh, the tragedy. David knows how to read the news, doesn't he? I read this phrase this past week about the awful events in Nashville on Monday morning. One pastor wrote online, this is sorrows untold and hearts torn asunder. Oh, here it is in our Bibles this morning. I want to say to us, friends, that David knows what is happening here. David knows how to read the news. Friends, he knows how to read the news of calamitous events, and he knows how to read them hearing the voice of God in them. For as these reports wash over David, the fake reports, the true reports, as they come to his ears, David can hear what God is saying. The the God who on the surface seems absent, who doesn't seem to be speaking at all, oh, but He is, friends. He is speaking loud and clear. Can you hear Him? Let, Let me try and build this picture for us. There's There's no sermon points today, just sermon story as we go through this this terrible chapter together. I I want you to take in the the shape of chapter 13 as a whole. Let's see if this will help us as we hear God's voice together. I know in the Bible versions that you have, the black ones, all of chapter 13 is open on double pages. The the, the chapter comes to us in two parts, doesn't it? Almost identical length last week and this week. But they are not just two parts to the chapter, they are parallel stories in the chapter. Remember, David has two sons. The story of Amnon last week in part one, verses one to 21, and the story today of Absalom in part two, verses 22 to 39. Both sons in both parts do something wicked, do something terrible. And notice, friends, both of the stories are laid out in exactly the same way. So, look at verse 1 of chapter 13, the setting. Now, Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. There is the stage is set. Now, look at verse 23, the second son, Absalom the setting of the stage. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Belhazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Two settings. Next, in each story, there is a conflab between characters about how to engineer the target into the right place. Last week, Amnon speaks to David, speaks to Jonadab about how to make Tamar accessible. How do I get her on her own? Then look at our passage today from verse 24 onwards. Absalom talks to his father about how to get Amnon accessible. Both times, the devious plan is followed by the dastardly action, the rape of Tamar and the murder of Amnon. Both times did you notice there is the same reaction 
What does Tamar do? She tears her clothes, weeping. The weeping and tearing of David's clothes. Friends, in both stories, in both cases, there is these moments of passion and rage that then turn to ashes in the hands of the one committing the crime. The thing that they both most wanted to do has not given them what they hoped. Do you remember that astonishing phrase in verse 15 of chapter 13, then Amnon hated her? All that passion, then he hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Now look at the parallel in verse 22 of our story, verse 34 rather, but Absalom fled. But Absalom fled. Oh, Absalom is a man who has nursed a cool, patient hatred. One, one commentator says he has a rage that waited, a rage that he just kept hot secretly, a rage that could wait. And yet, when he carries out the act that he has dreamt of and planned for for two years, success? No. Verse 34, he fled. Verse 37, Absalom fled. Verse 38, Absalom fled. The writer could not be clearer, could he? This is not what Absalom expected would happen. Oh, friends, can you read the news? Can you read the news? Can you see how this story is working? Absalom's sin is a mirror image of Amnon's sin. Amnon's sin is terrible, yes, and Absalom's sin trying to right his brother's sin is also a terrible sin. So that both the original crime and the retribution for it are evil. They are both unjust. They are both doing damage. They, they both deceive. They both destroy. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Oh, but look, friends, there's, there's more. There's more. We're, we're moving through Second Samuel chapter by chapter, so we tend to miss the big picture, don't we, as we're working through it. These chapter divisions that you have in front of you, big letters, 11, 12, 13, these chapter divisions were not inspired. They're not original. They're just there to help us find our place, to, to get a foothold. But when you read from chapter 11 all the way through to chapter 13, what do you have? Amnon's sexual sin with Tamar mirrors his father David's sexual sin with Bathsheba. Isn't that right? Yes, like father, like son. That's what the writer is saying to us. David took what was not his to take. He looked and he saw, and he liked what he saw, so he took what he saw. Amnon says, I like what I see, and I will take what I want to take, even though it is not mine to take. Like father, like son. And Absalom, Absalom's murderous sin mirrors who? Who is Absalom mirroring? 
I mean, look at verse 28 again in our passage. Then Absalom commanded his servants, mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. Do you see the writer speaking loud and clear? Does this ring any bells? Look back at chapter 11, verse 13. Chapter 11, verse 13, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made Uriah drunk. Then look at verse 25. So David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, after Uriah is murdered, say this, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. Oh, Absalom's contrived scheming murder of his brother just mirrors his father's contrived scheming murder of Uriah, doesn't it? Like father, like sons. The apples have not fallen far from the tree, have they? If the tree is rotten, what will the fruit be like? I think those of us who are parents discover this, don't we, eventually? It, it is one of the immense, sobering realities of parenthood, isn't it, that sometimes, sometimes the apples do not fall far from the tree. Now, sometimes, of course, they do fall far from the tree. That sometimes the best of parents have wandering prodigals. God Himself in the Old Testament is a father, the best of fathers, and He says to His wandering people, Israel, what more could I have done for you? Now, sometimes the best of parents see prodigals wander off into the distance, but often, more often, isn't it not true, the sins of the fathers are visited on the children who simply play out again and repeat the bitterness and folly that they've seen their own parents do. And sin introduced into families just gets handed on down through the generations. So, I want to ask us again, can we read the news here? Do you know why David is tearing his garments so, so bitterly, why he's weeping so profusely? One moment weeping because he thinks he's lost his whole house, then the next moment still weeping bitterly when he learns not all of his sons, he's just lost Amnon? Why is he weeping? It's because of what we read at the end of chapter 11, do you remember? But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Friends, chapter 13 does not need to tell us what God thinks for us to know what God thinks of this. It doesn't need to tell us what God says about all of this, for He has already told us what He says about all of this. Oh, the very silence of God is His displeasure. The very silence of God in this chapter is Him speaking. For do you remember what the prophet Nathan said to David? Just listen to this, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 10, Now therefore, David, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. 
Why does David fall to the ground weeping? Because he knows God is speaking. Not audibly this time, not, not visibly for people to see and to hear with their ears. David knows God is speaking by keeping His promises. Oh, he falls to the ground. No, no, Lord, not this. And yet what you said you would do, you are doing. Listen to this. Here's, here's one commentator's, I think, very crisp, getting right to the heart of it. He says this, in this sordid episode, the, in other words, the whole of chapter 13, God is fulfilling His judgment against the house of David. Humanly speaking, everything seems to be going awry here, yet God is active fulfilling His Word. God has not hung out a vacancy sign over His universe or His people. No, He is there bringing His Word to pass, and sometimes only that assurance keeps His people sane. Brothers and sisters, do you know how to read the news? Ah, people say, people say to you, like they've said to me, where is your God? Well, all your churches are pubs. They're clubs, they're upmarket apartments, they're bars. Look at it all over your city. Where is God? He doesn't look very real. He doesn't look very relevant, does He today? Oh, friends, He is right here, right here, fulfilling His word of judgment against the house of David. Oh, we, we tend to think, don't we? We think God's people think of judgment out there in the world. Well, yes, we need that. We're going to come to that. But remember what the Bible says, judgment begins at the house of God. Oh, friends, the decline of the church, not just in Scotland, the decline of the church in the West, all throughout Europe, the abject poverty of our pulpits and the pitiful decline in church members. Do you know how to read it? Do you know what it means God is saying? As the West sinks further and further, it does seem, doesn't it, further and further into distance from God and into utter confusion about human nature and who we are as people. Is it possible that the silence is the voice of God in judgment? The judgment of God as the very people He gave His Word to turn their back on it and go their own ways, and so God gives them over to their own desires. I wonder if you know how to read the news. When you see the despicable acts of others, when you see a David or, or an Amnon or an Absalom, do you know how to read it? the world reads it, doesn't it? The world reads it and says, how terrible, how awful. I would never do that. I'm better than that. When you see a president indicted or a prime minister misleading parliament, a mass murderer on the rampage in a school, celebrities suffering racist abuse and attacks, do you know how to read it? Do you know how to read the world as a mirror to look in, not as a window to look through and to throw stones through at others, but a mirror to see myself in? 
Do you know how to look at it all and to say, maybe with tears, oh friends, often with tears, our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Son, or without Him, that would be me. I would do that. I could go there. Oh, may your kingdom come. Dale Ralph Davis says, we often reason that premier haters like Absalom, it's a nice phrase, isn't it? Absalom is a premier hater, number one, top of the league. We reason that premier haters like Absalom are in a class by themselves, but that is not so. Absalom is not the rare exception, but the universal rule. Absalom is every man. What is happening in the world and being played out in the world all the time is just what God said would happen when we give up on Him. When there is no seeking of God, we seek ourselves, don't we? We turn in on ourselves. We we don't love. We lust. We don't give. We take. We don't forgive we smolder. See, where are you in the text here, chapter 13? Where are you in all of this? Isn't that the point the writer is saying to us? Who is there that comes out of this looking good? No one. Absolutely no one. Not the king, not his sons, not their servants. No one. It's Romans chapter 3, isn't it? Given to us in story form. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. They use their tongues for deceit. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and the way of peace they have not known. Romans chapter 3, emblazoned over 2 Samuel chapter 13, emblazoned over the world in which we live today. Isn't that the news? But isn't it the new story of our lives without Jesus? Unless we have Him. Friends, I could do what David did. I could do what Amnon did. I could do what Absalom did. Do you know that you could? Oh, you won't want to come close to the Lord Jesus today unless you know you could. Do you know how to read the news with gospel eyes? It, it changes everything, doesn't it? You know when you read the news, the, the news of the past week with gospel eyes, you never read the words porn star without changing the word star to victim or perpetrator or maybe sometimes both, but never star. Oh, friends, never star. Look how far we've fallen. You you never read the word scum of the earth without changing the word scum to made in the image of God. Whoever they are, whatever they've done. Reading the news means you read the news saying to yourself what C.S. Lewis taught us to say, saying, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Listen to Titus chapter 3, for we ourselves were once 
foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Hating by others and hating one another. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Without the Lord Jesus, we too would spend our lives in hate and hatred of others. Isn't it true, friends? There is so much anger out there in the world, so much rage. I don't know if you saw that really beautiful uh, cartoon. I can't remember where it was. Uh, it's done the rounds in lots of, um, you know, online and so on. It's, it's a, a, a couple, and the man is sitting at the computer uh, at his desk, and the wife is standing over his shoulder saying, are you coming to bed, sweetheart? And he says, no, I can't. Somebody is wrong on the internet. there's something out there I've got to fix, and it's made me really angry, and I'm going to type and type until I've poured my anger out there onto the world to, to fix what is wrong. Somebody out there deserves a piece of my mind. It's true, isn't it? Can, can people look at your social media friends and see what you love or only what you hate, who you're against? But says Paul in Titus, we too could have lived among them. We lived among them, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, there is no hope of escape except through the kindness of God. Somebody has said, apart from that, we share Absalom's nature whether or not we duplicate his deed. We share Absalom's nature whether or not we do what he did. And so, I simply want to finish this morning with seeing where Second Samuel has brought us on Palm Sunday morning. 2 Samuel chapter 13 brings us afresh, doesn't it, to our need of our Savior. That there is no one righteous in this chapter. Where do we turn? Who do we look to? Sexual sin, familial grief, relational heartache, smoldering resentment, long-held bitterness that we just quietly nurse and nurse and just keep at just the right temperature for the moment we need it. Anger at what others have done to us or done to our children. And like Israel looked at David, that once great king, now a weak man in the corner in his torn garments lying on the earth. Oh, the, the king after God's own heart. Look at him. Israel says, He can't help us. Where do we turn? We turn to another king, don't we? The king who entered Jerusalem, like Will was saying, not on a majestic white steed, but on a donkey, not high and mighty, but lowly and humble. Ah, at last, we say, at last we know there is one righteous 
There is someone who does good. There is one in whom there is no deceit found in his mouth. There is somebody whose feet never rush to shed blood. And yet that glorious, righteous, perfect king takes onto himself the sin of his people and the wrath of his father so that the sword might depart from David's house and so that that sword might smite him instead, great David's greater son, struck in our place. And so particularly this morning, to those who are angry, to those of you who are angry at God or angry at yourselves, those of us who are angry at others, those of us who are angry because of Nashville on Monday morning, or angry because of something only you know about, the cross of the Lord Jesus, friends, shows us that there is a place where perfect justice and beautiful mercy have kissed each other. Do you know that? The cross of the Lord Jesus shows you that justice matters to God. Oh, justice matters to God. Matters to Him more than it matters to us. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And the cross shows us that peace can be made, that pardon can be granted. You can be washed and cleaned and forgiven and made new. And so, friend, whoever you are today, wherever you are with Him, come. Come today and welcome to King Jesus and join with His people throughout all the earth, like we will do in just a moment, to pray and to long and to weep for His kingdom to come. So may it come. Amen.